up, what up, what up? Greetings from Earth. This is not your leader. My name is Wack Ops. How you doing? And welcome to the inaugural episode of Hardcore Casual. Thank you very much for being here. I'm so grateful. I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's helped me get to this point. We've actually done a lot of work to get you to uh, hear my voice today. So without further ado, let's get into it. I'm going to walk us through every segment that we have here on the episode, but but past that, I'm also going to get into some other things that we're going to be doing moving forward with the show as this is a, our inaugural episode. I wanted to keep things fun and moving forward, we're going to get into some more uh, deep and heavy topics. So without further ado, let's get into the headline news. Um, now our headline section is what it sounds like. It is the top three or four or five stories that we have every week in gaming or around uh, gaming and entertainment. Um, so our first story, we actually have the Madden 22 reveal. This was just revealed earlier this week. And unsurprisingly, we got Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes on the cover. Now, um, I've been playing Madden since I think this was actually the first game I ever learned to play. I'm not going to lie to you. My dad taught me how to play Madden and I would be the uh, wide receiver and he would play quarterback and throw me the ball. That's how I first learned how to get my sticks. Right. You know what I mean? Um, And honestly, uh, I haven't purchased a Madden. I played some here and there, you know what I mean, at a friend's house, but I haven't purchased a Madden uh, ever since I want to say Madden 19, where they bleeped out Kaepernick's name in the Big Sean song, uh, which was like the promotional song for the the game at the time. And, you know, since then, it's kind of put a bad taste in my mouth just because, you know, they're always saying one thing and doing another um, it certainly doesn't help that it's made by EA, but that's not to say that I'm not excited for this new Madden. Um, I did watch the trailer and it didn't seem like they actually had any new animations or cinematics or anything really to offer, but let's see when they get into more of a deep dive on the game. Now, Madden 22 is going to be released on August 20th on all platforms. So, uh, please keep an eye out for it if that's the game that interests you. Um, I will not be purchasing, but hopefully it will come to EA Play, which is uh, available through Game Pass. So um, who knows? Maybe I'll be able to play it. Uh, I will be staying away from that Madden Ultimate team, though. So our next story we have uh, is actually about Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is officially coming back to the PlayStation Network. For those of you who don't care, I'm not surprised, but I feel my due diligence to speak on Cyberpunk and kind of give them some lumps here and there because, uh, honestly, they they hurt my feelings. Uh, I paid full price. I pre-ordered the game. I was all excited about it. It was the next big, shiny new toy in the gaming space, and I think I'm not the only person who bit. So uh, just out of respect for you as the listener and me as the consumer, like, dude, No. I'm not going to let that slide. So we're going to report on some cyberpunk news here and there as it comes back, just because it's a bit of a curiosity story. But this was announced, cyberpunk coming to PlayStation was announced uh, via cyberpunk's Twitter. Uh, so I'm going to quote the the tweet here now. Um, quote, Cyberpunk is now back on the PlayStation Store. You can play the game on PlayStation 4 Pro and PlayStation 5. Additionally, a free next-gen upgrade will be available for all owners of the PS4 version of Cyberpunk 77 in the second half of 2021. 
Users may continue to experience some performance issues with the PS4 edition. While we continue to improve stability across all platforms, the PS4 Pro and PS5 versions of the game will provide the best experience on PlayStation. Now, why is this tweet telling? A couple of reasons. One, we were waiting to see what it was going to take for PlayStation to finally let uh, Cyberpunk back on a full six months after its release. I don't know that we've actually gotten those metrics yet, but it seems that Cyberpunk has hit that bar. So as of right now today, at the time of this recording, you can go out and you can purchase Cyberpunk 2077 through your PlayStation Network uh, on your PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5. Um, I actually played uh, 100 hours, <clears throat> uh, 100 hours of this title on an Xbox One. Uh, I t- gritted my teeth through it. Uh, probably more out of stubbornness than anything. And I will say, I'm not playing this game again probably until I have a rig that's worth it. And I'm not sure that a console, any console, is worth it at this point. Um, just as somebody who's followed the, you know, every digital foundry video that's come out about the game. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm good until I'm certain. Until they do the full blowout release, uh, re-release, which... I imagine they're going to do um, probably by Christmas. I would be I would be surprised if they didn't try and push that out by Christmas. But who knows? That game was such a mess that this game might not be out for another two years, uh, which I think everyone would find serendipitous, you know, very comical. Anyway, our next story we have is actually about PAX West. PAX West is back. It is coming back on September Third, it's going to happen September 3rd through the 6th of this year. Um, Why is this a big deal? Well, the Penny Arcade Expo or the PAX Expo is the first major gaming uh, event to be in person since the beginning of the pandemic. This is huge. Uh, I mean, if you watch D3, you could see how the energy has totally been sucked out of the event, especially if you were in chat or on Twitter. But what makes this kind of funny is the fact that PAX East was actually the last major in-person event before the pandemic back in February 2020. So a nice little bow tie to signify our our step back into reality from this weird dream we've had to live through <laughs> for the last 18 months or so. Um, it's been interesting, but I'm really, really, really excited to see live events come back uh, for those of you that don't know, I actually worked in live events for some time, and I, I think the culture of it is very important. It's something that you can't really take away from people. If you see concert goers, um, that's the most excitement, the, the highest high they feel as a consumer of any entertainment media. Um, look at sports fans at a, at a sporting event. You know what I mean? It's, it's really hard to take that frenetic energy out of the space and try and continue with the same momentum. So I'm excited. I hope that this means we get more in-person events. And I'm hoping that this means that that Comic-Con announcement that we heard about, um, it's happening, I believe, Thanksgiving weekend this year. Uh, I think a lot of people might have different feelings than they did uh, a couple months ago when that was first announced. Um, and then lastly, in our headline news, this just scrolled across my desk uh, within the last couple uh, couple uh, days here, but I-, I think it was important to talk about. Uh, Pokemon Go, uh, Niantic 
announced in a press release, is going to be rolling back their, uh, to a pre-COVID gameplay. Um, now, what does that mean for people not in the know? Essentially, what was happening was people who were playing Pokemon Go could not go outside because of the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the game is based around connecting with other people and standing within six feet of them, essentially. Um, so they rolled back and tweaked some gameplay elements to allow people to play from home. Um, which was really cool. And it actually allowed for a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't play the game, people in the disabled community or really young kids who can't leave the house by themselves or old people or whoever, just a new concern, uh, con uh, consumer base opened up. And now Niantic recently uh, announced that they are going to be removing those changes um, that, that were introduced as a response to COVID. So I'm curious uh, to see how this... Um, pans out because they said it's going to be, you know, a slow rollout. They're testing it in places that have vaccines. They're not just letting everyone back outside and giving anyone an incentive to go catch a deadly disease. Um, with that being said, fans are pissed. And I mean, rightfully so. I would be mad too if I was like a dedicated Pokemon Go player. In this whole year, I've been able to connect with friends and level up and really enjoy my gaming experience and introduce it to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to play at that. And now all of a sudden, that's not possible. It's really hard to give people something and then take it away. So uh, I'm curious. This is a Nintendo property, and we know Nintendo just does Nintendo. So we'll see. I'm I'm curious to see how this all pans out, but... Hopefully, by the time the rollout comes, which they say is not going to happen until after their big yearly event that I believe is coming out uh, in fall of this year. Even so, I think a lot of fans are going to be... I, I'm, I'm going to be surprised if a lot of people don't leave Pokemon Go after that. Because a lot of people, I think, are going to still be reeling from... I mean, being COVID conscious for a year. It's going to take some time for people to come down from that. So we'll see. Hopefully this will be something that pushes people back into normalcy in a healthy way and not causes friction. But that's enough of the headline news. We're going to go ahead and jump right into a segment we call The Streets Are Talking. Now, what is The Streets Are Talking? It is a segment where we talk about controversy, leaks, and rumors. I would love to talk about it with other segments, but I like to segment it just to keep myself out of trouble. So anything you hear in this segment, take with a big grain of salt. Um, some are more reliable than others. Others, I try and only bring about um, things that have, you know, a little bit of smoke and hopefully there will be fire. So we're going to go ahead and talk about three different rumors that we heard this week, all of which I honestly think are well worth talking about. First of which is the recent Dead Space rumors. Now, those of you who are not familiar, Dead Space is a very popular space zombie horror title that came out um, on the 360, and it was a highlight of the 360 PS3 era. Now, it's been eight years since its last release, um, but EA Play has an event. EA is who develops Dead Space. EA Play event is supposed to happen on July uh, 22nd. So the rumor being, according to Jeff Grubb and um, also reported later by VGC, the rumor is that Dead Space might be getting a remake. Um, I'm going to quote out um, the Jeff Grubb from the Games Beat podcast, and it was actually transcribed by VGC. Um, quote, 
Grubb previously stated that EA's Motive Studio was working on a, quote, established IP revival. Quote, I think you'll be happy, he said. On Tuesday, he teased, quote, we're gonna see it, dot, 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 if we're not dead first, end quote. Now, if you follow Jeff Grubb and you're familiar with leakers, they tend to do these cheeky little ways of, of, um, of, of giving hints of what the game they're talking about is, because a lot of the time they one, it's fun, honestly, get watching the community kind of try and dissect all these words and decide what the 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 most likely rumor is. Um, but I also love to see how these guys keep out of trouble and stay in contact and keep relationships good with the different people who work at these companies. Obviously, they know some of these things for a reason given their track record. So Later on, Gamatsu has uh, actually corroborated the Dead Space revival uh, story. Um, it is being done by Motive Studio, but the game is being described as a, quote, reimagining rather than a sequel. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how they take it. A lot of people are saying that it might be, um, they might be taking it in first person. Uh, a lot of people, if you're a fan of the Resident Evil series, has been a controversial topic you know what i mean i think in many ways third person does add to the horror element if not only because it takes up a portion of the screen um but you know then there's the immersion argument of the first person aspect of it uh personally i would like to see more third person horror titles i think with resident evil moving out um i would like to see dead space stay that way if that were the case but reimagining does pique my interest. I am curious as to what that might mean, what they have in store for us. Um, so we'll see. I, I would love to see more than just a cinematic or more than just a title coming up on July 22nd, but who knows? Moving on, we're going to get into the unannounced Superman game uh, coming out of WB Montreal. Now again, this is a rumor. Take this with a grain of salt. But I'm going to read to you a little blurb from PlayStation Lifestyle. Quote, according to a recent job advert, the team is hard at work on a third-person open-world action game. As spotted by Reset Era, serial leaker James Sigfield has hinted that this project is likely to be a Superman game, while WB Games Montreal's creative director has also been dropping a few subtle references to the superhero. So, what does that mean? Little back backstory. So, in the last couple years, there has supposedly been multiple Superman games that have gone on to been, be canceled by um, developers such as Rocksteady, who made the original um, Arkham Asylum games. WB Montreal, uh, right now, is responsible for Gotham Knights, which is the... Uh, spiritual successor, let's say, not sequel, sequel to the Dark Knight um, video game series, uh, the Arkham, excuse me, the Arkham video game series. Um, now, I'm curious to see, one, what they might do with that, because I think a lot of people are fans of those titles in that series, and I think those those mechanics bode well for a lot of superhero games, but I think the reason why Superman, in particular, is such a difficult story to tell, 
um, through an interactive medium is because he's so powerful that getting a player to feel how powerful they are without a game being boring, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to make Superman feel OP, but not make the game, uh, I guess, a baby game, for lack of a better term. It, it, the game has to have some level of challenge, but Superman has very few things that are challenging for him. So a lot of creators have tried to take his powers away. It's always some kind of MacGuffin where he's less than the full Superman. Personally, if I were making a Superman game, I would either make a young Clark Kent game where you're learning about your powers and you progress by learning about your but Maybe you start at like 16, 15, and you move up till you're like 22. And then when you first reveal like the full super suit and you're like a grown man being Superman now. I would do something like that. Or I would just do a full space-based Superman story where he's lifting planets and all kinds of craziness. Like, make it the scale the problem and make it more of a showpiece. But I think that's not what really really what gamers want. I think a lot of gamers want uh, them to thread this perfect needle. And I, I commend WB Montreal. If they're taking this on, um, I really hope that uh, Gotham Knights turns out really well so we can uh, see more from what they can do. Um, but no, I, I don't know. I, I gotta see it to believe it with a Superman game. Uh, Superman games, Superman movies, it's all tough because he is like the original just OP superhero. And it's, it's really hard for that to translate into really any other medium than comics. Uh, at least it seems so for a lot of people. And then lastly, on our rumor story, now this actually just came up right before I started recording. So uh, uh, basically, from what I understand, there's a Ghost of Tsushima expansion coming out this year. Um, this is according to Xbox Xbox Era's uh, Special Nick and Reset Era's um, uh, Catharsis T. Now, both of these guys are known for leaking very much like Jeff Grubb, um, but in their own spaces if you're familiar with reset air it's a forum where a lot of leakers uh, uh frequent um but getting to the actual meat of it uh supposedly it's called ghosts of ikishima excuse me ikishima yes and it is a single player dlc so if all the rumors are true again take it with a grain of salt i'm super excited i think this is a great idea keep these games single player i think the multiplayer was dope but i think what made people fall in love was uh the storytelling elements and just the amount of detail through simplicity that the game allowed for um and i i really want to see if even if it was like one leg of the you know the three sections of the game even if it's just half of one of those i'd be super happy i'd be super happy just give me some good stories man you know what i mean and maybe like one new armor set or something like that but um until more information comes out i really don't want to speak on it as i don't want to get people's hopes up but i do think that it is entirely possible that these guys are right and we get a ghost of tsushima expansion this year and it's single player and I love the name, uh, Ghost of Ikishima. Um, uh, apparently, through literal history, uh, Tsushima and Ikishima were invaded by the Mongolians in the same year. So, um, I guess, canonically, for lack of a better term, it makes sense. 
So I'm really excited. I love what they did with those games. I, I think those games are great. Uh, I think it was a perfect meshing of like real world um, history and game, uh, a video game. You know what I mean? But moving on, that's enough of rumors for right now. We're going to get into a segment we like to call The Real. Now, The Real is in reference to the movie Real. This is where we talk about all of our movies and our television shows of this week, upcoming trailers and things that we saw that that excited us this week or things that we just want to continue to talk about as they come out. Uh, case in point, this week we're going to be talking about Loki. Now, at the time of this recording, I just now watched uh, episode three of Loki TV series. So, spoiler warning up front, be careful. I, I do slip up pretty quick. So, if you're not interested in spoilers, please feel free to skip ahead about uh, five minutes or so. So, Loki, episode three. Um, I thought, honestly... I was a little underwhelmed, and I know that's not <laughs> that's not a take that I'm seeing a lot out there. Uh, a lot of people fell in love with the introduction of the Lady Loki character or the Sylvie character. Um, quite frankly, I'm holding my breath. I am. I am holding my breath. I have faith that Disney is going to deliver on this show. When they first announced all the shows that they were putting out on Disney+, Plus, this was actually the show I was most excited for. I know that's not uncommon amongst uh, the MCU fans out there. And then after I saw what they did with WandaVision, I was just like, oh my god, Loki's going to be the best show ever. And so there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of hype around this show. But as we're getting closer to the end here, we're at the halfway mark. So remember, it's only six episodes. As we hit the halfway mark, I am hoping I am not let down um, in the same way I was with Captain Captain America and the Winter Soldier. You know what I mean, or Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I'm 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 hoping that at the end of the day they really hit us with some good storytelling, and I hope that the reveals at the end of the the show are enough to satisfy and satiate the palate of the MCU fans, because quite frankly, that whole WandaVision thing really, I think, hurt them in a certain way that not Disney as a brand, they're not going to sell less movie tickets. Let me rephrase, not hurt them, but it kind of left a couple of people annoyed and maybe a little hesitant about the future phase four, phase five, phase six of the MCU. Like, where is it going now? Because we don't have a direction. We don't know who the big bad is. And without any direction, I think a lot of people are nervous that the game is going to come out and not be everything they want it to be. I mean, excuse me, the 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 finale is going to come out and not be everything they want it to be. Or Doctor Strange and the, the Multiverse of Madness is going to come out and not be everything they wanted it to be. So I hope that MCU fans can manage their expectations, mostly because if you spend enough time online, you know, it'll take a little bit of the fun out of it for you too so um yeah i don't know but this last episode i was i was curious about i i really i like the cliffhanger they left it on with the whole you know end of the world they're stuck in in an apocalypse thing but personally i was a yeah i didn't i didn't care for the chemistry between the two um without any sustenance i feel like we didn't really dig into anything other than the the mom conversation that they had which i thought was very short and i thought they could have put more 
stuff like that in the show. But I get it. It's Loki talking to Loki, so they kind of have to be very cheeky with it. They got to be very, you know, it's everything's a joke. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I can't wait for episode four, but if after episode four, I'm not seeing something really, really impressive, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm going to turn down my expectations by like two. Next up, we have the latest Rick and Morty episode. Uh, I don't know if I have to do a spoiler warning for this because I'm just going to gush over it, but God, I am so relieved to have what feels like another classic Rick and Morty episode. And you know what? I'm getting energy from the creators of the show that they're actually excited to be creating. And I feel like the last season we watched looked like the season they made while going through contract negotiations. And I feel like the season we're seeing now is the actual blowout season where they're putting all their ideas on the table. Hence why we got Mr. Nimbus in the first episode. I'm glad they didn't save that for the middle of the season either, because I'm sure everybody was just like, dude, what is this <laughs> Namor character? You know, what is this Aquaman character that I'm looking at? Um, but no, in a very genuine, real way, I thought this was one of my favorite Rick and Morty episodes ever. Perhaps I've just missed it. Maybe it's just been a dry spell. Time makes the heart grow fonder and all that good stuff. But no, man, this was A1. Mwah. It was good stuff. So if you haven't checked it out, please go watch the new Rick and Morty. Please go watch this show. I am nervous that with their marketing, um, that they might be on like that sellout line. But at the end of the day, if they're funny, they're funny, man. I don't care if they make money. Go get your bread. I'm not excited about like Fortnite crossovers and things like that. I think that's a little, you know, touch and go, let's say. Um, I'll call it one to one when I see him, but, uh, and no knock on Fortnite in particular, just, I've seen quite a few little things. Like I don't want to see Rick and Morty on every Mountain Dew can or, or something weird like that. But, um, again, get your money. I'm going to, I'm not going to knock the creators of Rick and Morty. Um, because at the end of the day, I appreciate their work and they've given me, you know, uh, entertainment well worth my money. Um, next up, let's talk about the Suicide Squad trailer. If you know me, I've been excited about this movie. Ooh, I'm so excited because it looks like so much better and so much more put together than the last one. Um, I feel like the last one was kind of, I was never really invested. Um, I mean, yeah, in, uh, like a heartfelt way, but it felt manufactured. Like, oh man, Will Smith and his daughter. Like, I, I'm not, I get it. He's, we've done this like 10 times. I've seen Will Smith movies before. Like, stop it. No knock on Will Smith, but straight up, like, that movie was, yeah, I, I was bored. I wasn't even mad about it. Like, I was just like, oh, uh, whatever. You know what I mean? I stopped paying attention multiple times. So, this next one, I'm excited that they pulled um, maybe some actors who are a little more invested. Uh, I feel like some of the actors who were in the first one weren't really interested in having fun. And I feel like the Suicide Squad is very much a um franchise you know a property that that is about having fun you know what i mean more than anything like obviously it's super gritty and and uh and you know fucked up i guess for lack of a better term but i love this misfit this you know island of, of misfit toys that they put together to go stop 
uh, real evildoers and secret covert government stuff, but without being all Watchmen about it, all V for Vendetta about it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm happy. I'm happy that they're doing this kind of story, man, about these under underappreciated comic book characters. Because I think everybody could say that villains most often, more often than not, especially the more you read uh, and watch, villains are way more interesting than superheroes. You know what I mean? Like, superheroes are cool. They're dope. But outside of a few, like, villains have to have such complicated and motivations and do such mental gymnastics. It's much more interesting to see how they react, interact with the world. And honestly, more than anything, the reason why I'm so excited about this movie in particular is because Starro the Destroyer is a ridiculous villain, and I think it's going to be hilarious, and I want to see how the world reacts to a a golden age comic book villain brought into the modern age, because it's ridiculous. He's a giant sea star that that, uh, mind controls people. I want to see that on the big screen. I'm sorry if that's ridiculous. Take my money. Like, bro, I'm tired of all this serious stuff. Like, I want to have fun in the movie theater again. Um, and I think Suicide Squad is going to be the movie to do it for me. Um, no offense to Black Widow, but nah, Suicide Squad for me, if I had to choose. And then lastly, in in uh, the, last, the last story I want to talk about in the reel today is actually uh, about Candyman. Now, if you're not familiar, Candyman is a old horror title from, I believe... Uh, I'm dating myself here, but I believe it's the 80s. I'm young, y'all. I wasn't there. But (laughs) uh, this one is actually being uh, directed, I believe, directed and produced by Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, who directed um, Get Out and uh, other popular films. Like He's a very renowned director at this point, though he does come from the comedy realm. That's how we, in the popular culture, were introduced to him. But as soon as I heard Jordan Peele was going to do a Candyman, I was so excited because the Candyman story is like a, like a hood scary story, but not in a jokey way. It's it's not cute. You know what I mean? Like Candyman ain't playing with you. You know what I mean? And I think Jordan Peele does a really, I don't know, there's some way he just, he creeps so good. He just, he... He penetrates your brain and it makes you feel like so uncomfortable until finally like the, the reveal happens and it happens over and over and over again. A lot of scary movies, they only have one and it's like 10 minutes before the end of the movie and like you don't really care because it's a guy in, in a mask and it's like, nah, bro, Candyman's scary. I, I anticipate Candyman to be scary from the jump and I love the journalist trying to understand the story thing i'm excited to see a brother get some shine on the on the movie screen on the silver screen i see a lot of popular uh black actors and actresses um the most notable that i saw who who stood out to me was actually um the young woman who played i'm forgetting her name god forbid i i'm, I'm so sorry I, the young woman who played uh in wandavision um who played monica rambeau she's playing the love interest or the significant other of our main character in Candyman. Uh, I'm juiced. Please go check this out. And if this trailer doesn't scare you half to half to death, then, uh, you know, still go watch it. Still go support. Yeah, I, I can't wait. And I don't like scary movies, y'all. Like, I'm not a horror title cat, but like, this looks good, good. This looks like it's going to scare me the right way and not just jump scares. 
Anyway, moving on, I've gone long on talking about movies. Let's get back into some games. Now, I want to talk to you guys about this segment. It's called Platform Wars. Now, Platform Wars, I was going to call it Console Wars, but I thought that was a bit uh, reductive. Um, At the end of the day, we have mobile and PC. We have Switch and Sony. uh, We have Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft all making uh, consoles. And even within the PC space, you got Epic Games and Steam and GOG. You got, in the gaming space, you have multiple ways of playing your games, multiple ways of purchasing your games. And I want to see how all these different business strategies interact. This is less about the cultural war that happens between, you know, Sony ponies and whatever they call Xbox people. Um, I will admit I do have some biases toward Xbox, mostly because I've just been in their ecosystem since I was a child. Um, But PlayStation was my first console. Or no, sorry. (laughs) Game Boy was my first console, but Sony was my first in-home console, uh, the PlayStation. So, you know, I have a pretty... I have pretty strong memories with all of these companies. Um, But right now, you know, if you hear me sounding a bit biased about Xbox, feel free to check me, shoot me an email, tweet at me. It's fine. I'm not mad about it. But I don't control the news either. So you'll see as we get into it and we'll see what kind of pressures are on all these different companies. Um, But today we're going to only talk about the big three. That's Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft. So first we're going to start with Sony. Sony mostly because they're going through big changes and there's a lot of pressure on them given that they were not at E3 this year. So we're still waiting to see what their holiday lineup looks like, things like that. Um, So I'm going to set the stage for each one of these companies or each one of these businesses and these ecosystems and kind of give you an idea of where we're at right now today. And that way, moving forward, we can kind of keep some of these things in mind. Um, now, first things first, this last week, there was a lot of ch- talk and chatter the last couple weeks, talk and chatter about this co- cross-generation controversy. Now, what is the co- cross-generation controversy? Firstly, uh, let's talk about crossplay because um, uh, Jim Ryan recently did an interview with Axios where he discusses how Sony wants to support crossplay. So let me read you a quote. Uh, from Axios, and then we'll get back. So, quote, we support and encourage crossplay, Ryan told us, noting crossplay with Sony works on numerous big games such as Fortnite, Rocket League, Call of Duty, Minecraft, and soon Destiny 2. That number will continue to grow, he said. Now, the reason this is a little funny is because of uh, recent court documents that came out. In the Epic versus Apple court battle, recent court documents came out saying that Sony really fought against crossplay. And I, I mean in a business, like, monetary way. They were charging different businesses for allowing crossplay if that business, uh, more money was spent on another platform than Sony. Um, and that became... A point of friction between Fortnite and Sony at a point. Um, if you want more information on that, please go read about this Epic versus Apple case. Very interesting. But there was also a controversy around cross-gen. Now, the reason this is interesting is because recently Sony has said that certain titles are going to be cross-gen when they were previously PlayStation 5 only. 
Um, now they are going to be both on PlayStation 5 and on PlayStation 4. So for the people who went out and bought a PlayStation 5 so that they wouldn't be locked out of certain games are now feeling cheated a bit. Um, but also people are wondering what kind of marketing talk they're throwing at us when at the end of the day, this comes a few years after Jim Ryan has said the famous, we believe in generations quote. So both on the cross-gen and the cross-play, <laughs> Sony seems to be kind of talking out both sides of their mouth. So that's one issue that we've seen over the last, really, it's been talked about a lot more in the last couple of weeks, but um, has been uh, in the news and frequented around uh, people talking about these issues for at least a couple months now. So our next story on Sony is actually about the Japan sales. Um, they have been really hurting Sony in, in the sense that they've been very, very low. So this comes to us from uh, Famitsu via uh, Gamatsu. Um, those are both uh, video game publications, Famitsu being um, in Japanese. I do not read Japanese. So, um, But they do sales chart numbers for um, Japan sales. Over the course of the PlayStation 5's lifespan, uh, the PlayStation in Japan has sold, the uh, PlayStation 5 hardware has sold roughly 680,000 disc versions um, and roughly a million units total. So a million total PS5s. Um, they're getting close to there. They're hedging toward that number. Now, why is this surprising? Because with 680,000 available consoles, Guess how many copies, physical copies, they sold of Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart? Their most anticipated, I would argue, their most anticipated title to date, 14,000 units. Now, this was a surprising number mostly because we didn't anticipate uh, Japan, uh, the the pullout of Japan. Sony uh, recently closed uh, Sony Japan in April of 2021. We didn't expect the effects of that to be seen in sales numbers so quickly. Now, granted, you know, they also had Final Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade, and that only sold about 20,000 copies. And again, these are only discs. These are not digital. I understand that a lot of people are still buying digital um, and will continue to do, do so. I know that physical uh, discs are dying, but this is still very telling because Sony has notoriously had a stronghold uh, over Japan when it comes to Sony versus Microsoft, not in relation to, to Nintendo. Nintendo lives in Japan. They own Japan. It's it, No one's going to outsell the Nintendo Switch anytime soon there. But I thought this was an interesting story just to kind of understand how serious the move to a Western audience for Sony is. Now, Next, I want to talk about PlayStation on PC. Now, PlayStation has been working really, really, really hard to, let's say, self-correct in order to stay competitive with Microsoft, given how hard they've been pushing this, um, <laughs> this Game Pass, you know what I mean, and putting it everywhere. They're flexing their, their money, and PlayStation does not have the same amount of capital on hand. So, Sony is experimenting with a new business model. They're moving to PC. Now, 
Uh, reports from an investor call said that Horizon Zero Dawn made a 250, uh, 250% return when released on PC. Um, ROI, that's return on investment. Basically, you know, they put in a dollar and they got 250 back. Now, that was uh, a big sign for them to start moving more titles over. And you can start seeing the writing on the wall, I believe. You're going to start seeing a lot actually, uh, a surprising number of PlayStation titles moving over to PC. Um, it started with Days Gone, that was released last month, uh, or I believe maybe this month, on PC. And then in an investor call, or an investor meeting, we found out that un the Uncharted 4 is going to be coming to PC. And we also have multiple titles that are suspected to be coming over because the only on PlayStation... Um, marker was removed from physical box art of Ghost of Tsushima, Spider-Man Miles Morales, and Sackboy's Big Adventure, all of which are no longer saying only on PlayStation, which means there's a good chance that they're coming to PC. Now, I'm super excited for this. I think accessibility is, like, dope. I want to see companies put some paint where it ain't. You know what I mean? Like, for me, as somebody who did not have a PS4 up until six months ago, I'm I'm halfway through Ghost of Tsushima. I, I it's hard for me to start Horizon Zero Dawn just because I really want to sink my teeth into it. I beat Spider Man One, but I haven't been able to get Miles Morales yet because I've been trying to find a PS Five. It's been it's been a lot of stress as a consumer who just wants this company to take my money. You know what I mean? So I'm excited to see them uh allow for more players to play on on pc uh and i think the pc community would be open to it the pc community is large and vast and diverse and i think that they would do a, have a lot of fun with these games uh especially if the modding community gets anywhere near any of these games it's gonna be uh, fantastic if not just for comedy and then lastly of course we have to talk about the fact that we're waiting to hear from sony um, to announce their big Hollywood, uh, excuse me, their holiday lineup. Um, we do not know yet what first party exclusives are coming for holiday 2021. I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if they didn't have at least two major titles coming out this year or early next year in order to kind of at least compete and make some some splashes next to uh, the company we're about to talk about next, Microsoft and Nintendo. Because at the end of the day, I think Nintendo, the, the heat they have around them around this last console isn't going to die out until the next console comes out. But also, I think Microsoft has started playing a strategy 20 years down the line, and they started playing five years ago. So they're already seeing a return. Uh, for for a lot of their investments and Sony in the last couple months has been getting beat up in the press and they need a win you know what I mean and it, that sounds weird to say because they're selling so many consoles but at the same time if no one's buying the software what good is selling the consoles I don't know that they're not selling those at a loss so we'll see uh, and I don't think they are but we'll see I need to see this Sony holiday lineup before I make any judgment calls. But right now, I'll just say there's a lot of pressure on Sony uh, because they're making a lot of big changes over there. And people need to see 
what they're talking about, especially after those court documents dropped, showing that they are business people. They're not gamers. And that should surprise no one. But for some reason, it kind of hurt, <laughs> I think, a lot of the gamer community. So I want to see Sony show up and show out. Um, but let's move on to Microsoft, Xbox. Um, now, Microsoft has a different kind of pressure because Microsoft for years has had the narrative of having no blockbuster first-party titles, especially when the last couple Halos fall flat, Gears has sizzled out, some of their titles that were exclusive to them, everything short of um, um, Forza Horizon has been, eh, you know, it's been okay. And over the last four years, they've gone on a buying spree. They've bought dozens of companies, most notably uh, Bethesda Zenimax, uh, of course. But I think the pressure for Xbox right now, truly, is to come out with some great games. They have shown plenty of games I'm sure will be good, but some of those games have to be generational. They have to be great. And that's what I need to see um, for Microsoft as a first-party developer. But we'll get into one of those stories a little later down the list. Right now, I want to talk about xCloud. Uh, because xCloud actually had two separate stories that came out this week, um, or recently. Uh, one we just missed, but was resurfaced this week. First, xCloud is coming to Xbox One. In a blog post on Xbox Wire, all the way back on June 13th, this uh, they posted this right after their uh, live showcase at E3. Quote, for millions of people who play on Xbox One consoles uh, today... We are looking forward to sharing more about how we will bring many of these next-gen games, such as Microsoft Flight Simulator, to your console through xCloud Gaming, just like we do with mobile devices, tablets, and browsers. So that went right over a lot of our heads, but as an Xbox One owner who has yet to get a Xbox Series X, yo, this is exciting. I am so pumped dude like i i if you're telling me i could potentially be able to game stream micro microsoft flight sim on my xbox one I, i'll be honest with you that was that's one of those games that you're like oh i'll just never play that or i'll play that in 10 years when i finally build this dream ps or pc rig that i i've, I've been talking about for years like yeah dude whatever you know what i mean but if you're telling me that that accessibility is something that they're really really pushing for uh say what you want about the phones and the tablets and this and that bringing next generation games to your last gen console potentially hurting your sales does show me that accessibility does potentially actually matter to them i'm sure this is just a ploy to get us you know in their ecosystem and they can jack up the price a couple years down the line but Still, I'm excited. I'm excited today. Today, right now, I'm excited. At the time of this recording, I I want to see how that turns out, which actually leads right into our next story. Um, apparently, Xbox Series X and S consoles have reportedly been active in the X Cloud server blades, <laughs> but now that we have access to that hardware via the cloud, it it looks like we're gonna start getting some real games running at at high fidelity here, uh, coming up real soon. Some gamers have reported that they're getting it, and others have not. But let me read to you the tweet from Tom Warren, who broke the story first, Tom Warren being um, a writer over at The Verge. Quote, 
it looks like xCloud just got the Xbox Series X hardware upgrade for certain games. Yakuza, Rainbow Six Siege, and others are showing a 120 FPS or GFX options and are loading faster. This is really exciting. Um, there is a list somewhere online. I don't have it available to me because I just got this story onto uh, my write-up this uh, just a couple hours before hopping on. But yeah, there is actually like a couple dozen titles. This is this makes it sound like there's a few. No, there's like more than a dozen, maybe twenty titles that are available to you right now. Potentially, potentially, they haven't officially announced yet, but. I'm guessing that if they're doing this slow, quiet rollout, that there's a good chance they're about to say, all of our server blades have Xbox Series Xs right now, sometime in the next couple weeks. So I'm excited. I think within the next two weeks, you're going to be able to play Yakuza in 120 FPS and have great load times from your PC. No issues. Whether you have a rig that can run uh, that hot or not, um, as long as your browser can run and you got a monitor that can push, I think we actually might be in the future, y'all. I can't. I'm I'm so excited. Uh, the, this has given me accessible gaming to things that I never thought I could um, in the last couple years. And Microsoft is showing improve. But that's enough of that. I'm gonna get off of you know hyping up Microsoft. So next, let's talk about what the real pressure is on xbox right now on microsoft it's halo after years of delays and bad fan receptions and things like that i think it's crazy that we do not have a release date and i think that is something telling as great as the e3 showcase was from microsoft the biggest knock the one thing nobody missed was the fact that halo does not have an official release date that's crazy elden ring has a release date, and we're just now getting gameplay footage of it. So uh, I want to read to you a quote from Phil Spencer on the Dropped Frames podcast, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, quote, we know kind of our range in the three to four week range. Uh, we don't have yet the exact day. There's some other things with some other ga- uh, with other game timing that we're trying to look at, We'll have better clarity over the summer, but this isn't a month's thing. This is just down to a few weeks. Uh, Instead of picking this date and having to move it by a week, which at this point would feel like a fail, we don't want to do that. Let's wait until we have a really solid, uh, we're really solid on what the date is. Spencer continues, but the team is very committed to holiday and we feel good about that. Now, this made a lot of people in the community really, really, really scared that this actually might get pushed till 2022. Um, because weeks could mean they're aiming for December and they spill over into January. That's what that tells me. But no, I think what they're saying is they've picked a month and they don't want to compete with Call of Duty, Battlefield, and all these other games that they also make money on. I think this is a lot more of a business strategy question than it is a development question. Um, Though, we have no reason to believe them. Especially with the last... I mean, I think a lot of gamers are gun-shy. I think you'll be surprised if you find a gamer who didn't feel disappointed by a game they pre-ordered or purchased at launch um, because of bugs or because of servers crashing. 
um, or yada, yada, yada. And I think underbaked games are what's really hurting companies. And I think that underbaked trailer and in-game footage they showed us last year really made people like, yo, do not ruin my Halo. So hopefully uh, the people over at 343 can avoid uh, ruining it, but we got to see it, man. I'll say it just like I said with Sony. We have to see it. I want to see A1 stuff, and I'm starting to agree with a lot of people, man. I don't think this game can just be good. I think it actually has to be great. Otherwise, Microsoft runs the risk of being stigmatized as a system for only casuals and no one who wants to play a really good game, quote unquote, plays on Xbox because they don't have any good first party titles. And Sony's not kicking over and certain PC games don't come over. So uh, that's what it is. But I don't know that that's even part of Microsoft's business strategy anymore. I don't know that they care about making great first party games anymore because they're making money on the back end with subscriptions. So we'll see where how the future goes. Let's see if they actually show and prove over the next, like, let's say, full calendar year. By this time next year at E3, if they're still in the same kind of conversation that we were having a month ago, then yeah, I think we're going to see Xbox come away with a stereotype of being uh, not for first, not no good first parties, no good first party titles, and that I think hurts a lot of the developers that they've purchased in recent years. So I'm rooting for Xbox to really show out with this one in the same way that I'm rooting for PlayStation to show up with some good food for us to eat this holiday. Now, lastly, let's talk about Nintendo. Now, <laughs> I I don't like talking about Nintendo for one reason, and that's just because they get to play by different rules than these other two companies. I don't really consider them a part of the console wars because at the end of the day, they just do what they want, and they're not really worried about you because they know they got you. They are way more of a... I look at them very much like a toy company, um, and I see how like my dad freaks out if he sees like a Transformers action figure from when he was a kid. You know, he'll freak out the same way we freak out when we see Mario, the same Mario we played when we were kids, you know, doing cool stuff on, you know, in hot, uh, in HD 4K graphics or just new gameplay or new, new things that you imagined and thought never would, would come to be, you know, like Pokemon Go, I think for a lot of people is that, or, or, or open world video game titles from linear games like Nintendo gives us these little incremental growths and people just act like it is the biggest deal that's not to say that I don't love Nintendo I'm just like the rest of you I'm a total hypocrite in saying that but um, I think with Nintendo right now there aren't a lot of high expectations um, because there hasn't been an official Switch Pro review Let's talk about that one first before we talk about the the obvious, the um, the Zelda, you know, Breath of the Wild 2. But the Switch Pro rumors this week I thought were really funny. Or, excuse me, before E3, not this week, earlier this month. Um, both Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal came out with separate stories basically saying that, like, the release was imminent any day now they're going to announce and, like, didn't end up being the case. Um, but... Basically, the many times cycled information that's been going around is that 
the new Switch is going to have a OLED screen, which means blacker blacks, basically like crispier um, colors and depth in your in your Switch handheld. And then it's supposed to be 4K when docked. Supposedly, they are aiming for a September-October release, and it's supposed to be going into production in July. So with that information, I would say, yeah, all of those things reasonably could be true, short of that release date. But I would say if July passes and we don't have a leak of a picture from a factory somewhere, uh, I'm, I'm not holding my breath for this. The main reason I believe a Switch Pro is coming out actually has less to do with that and way more to do with the fact that Breath of the Wild 2 is said to be coming out in 2022. That tells me that they're working on a next-gen title way more than any other, any rumor from Bloomberg or Wall Street, uh, Wall Street Journal, only because they did not pin down a release date. They said 2022. That might mean there's a development with the game they're trying to find a sweet spot no i think that they're way closer to done with that game than we think and i think that march uh would be let's say this if there is a switch pro release or announcement before holiday 2021 then i do think that breath of the wild 2 will come out before march of 2022 but if we don't have a Switch Pro announcement or nothing like that, I don't think Breath of the Wild 2. I think it's possible it comes out 2023. And I know people don't want to hear that. I know it. But you know what? I think less people beat Breath of the Wild 1 or played it actually all the way through and didn't just speedrun it. Then uh, talk shit online. Facts. I think a lot of people are still playing it. I can tell because I've still played it. You know what I mean? Uh, speaking of which, I just got Revali's Gale last night. I'm so hyped. Oh my God, I can finally traverse. That's enough of that. I'll, I'll <laughs> sidebar. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, Nintendo's expectations are pretty low, especially with how hyped everybody is with their um, their holiday lineup. And I think it's going to be another year of like, you know, you pick up a Mario Party, a Mario Kart, or some kind of Zelda title, some mainstay. And you play it for a little while and you're happy with it because you can play it with your friends, probably. And I think that's all really anybody wants, even this year and probably next year from Nintendo, where we're, I don't think anybody comes to Nintendo for like fast pace, hard action. <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I really am crossing my fingers for a Switch Pro, but at this point, with how hard of a whiff that was from two major publications... I I am not holding my breath. I'm not holding my breath for Nintendo. So next, that's actually going to end our Platform Wars segment. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys about our next segment, which is called Five Minutes of Sports. Now, I am aware that the gamer community and the sports fan community, though there is a significant amount of overlap, seem to not always see eye to eye gamers i think maybe and perhaps this is just something that i grew up with that that kids aren't dealing with now but it, you know a lot of people who are into sports don't want to hear about video games and vice versa so i wanted to make sure that i talked about things that i enjoy and created space for both groups to come hang out and chill and be civil but also uh, i'm a multifaceted person and i like both and i'm sure there's more people out there like me so 
Here is five minutes of sports. I go fast and I burn through story topics just because I don't want to keep anybody's time like I do with other segments where I allow myself to be a little more long-winded. So, five minutes of sports. Let's start the clock. Go. Okay, so the NC, the first topic I want to talk about is the NCAA Supreme Court decision. Now, I'm going to be reading some blurbs from Dan Murphy's piece in ESPN. I think he did a really succinct way of um, tying up this, uh, this story in a way that was digestible. So, firstly... Uh, the decision allows schools to provide their athletes with unlimited compensation as long as it is in some way connected to their education. So if you're not familiar, basically, college athletes, according to NCAA rules, arbitrary, they're not a government organization, this isn't a law, this is just some people's rules, they're not allowed to pay players. They're not allowed to give players any form of compensation above what they're already being compensated, which is considered their education, their scholarship, room and board, if that's included. But uh, if you go hungry, you go hungry, kid. Um, even if you're the biggest star in the country and you throw for a million touchdowns and make this this college a boatload of money. You get my point. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Like, honestly, it's not more uh, politically complicated than that. But uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, I'm not a particular fan of him, but we're not getting into politics today. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh published a concurring opinion that takes a harder line, suggesting that the NCAA's rules that restrict any type of compensation, including direct payment for uh, athlete accomplishments, might no longer hold up well in future antitrust challenges. Now, what makes this interesting is it's being considered an antitrust hearing, and, you know... I think when people hear antitrust, it's a different echelon of uh, legal, moral duty. You know what I mean? If you feel like people are genuinely being cheated out of an opportunity in a uh, conspiratorial or group manner, yeah, that's pretty messed up uh, if you're doing that out in the open. Be a little more sneaky about it, and college sports is not sneaky about it. Politicians, this is another quote from the uh, Dan Murphy ESPN piece, politicians in 19 states have passed laws uh, in the past two years that rebuke the organization's rules and will soon allow athletes to start making money from third-party endorsements. And members of Congress are currently debating at least a half dozen bills aimed at reforming the NCAA. The reason I'm talking about this today and not talking about the NBA playoffs is because every member of the NBA, short of like LeBron James and maybe one other person who was drafted straight out of, uh, out of high school, like, bro, seriously, this affects every single athlete's ability to create wealth for themselves, to shore up their own education. If they get injured, they can pay for their own education. Like, dude, it's a lot of stuff. A lot of kids, like, dude, I hear horror stories from college athletes saying, like, bro, I'm one of the best players on my team. I'm one of the best students in my class. I work hella hard, and I don't have no food to eat, and they're not allowed to feed me. It's not that they won't feed me. They want to feed me, but they're not allowed because they might get fired, or worse, we might end up in an FBI investigation and all over the paper and in the news. Like, that's crazy to me. And I get that for rich schools, it looks like an anti-competitive thing where rich schools can pay off students. It's like, yeah, but that's a simplistic way of looking at it when we actually place it in reality. So 
I think this was an important thing to talk about this week. I wanted to touch base with it, and I wanted everybody to understand what we're looking at when it comes to why the Supreme Court is getting involved with college sports. It's because college sports is taking great advantage of our youth. People are using their best years, their most uh, available their their most capable years and spending it with these colleges who do not do anything in good faith for them. And I'm sorry, but waving a golden ticket of a potential degree in these kids' faces is disgusting. It's actually not a service. You're not actually paying them with anything. Uh, I'm not saying education isn't worth anything, but I'm saying if you really cared, then you would actually give them an opportunity to create wealth while at your well, while at your college, like you do with many other non, non-athlete students. I think of business and law and STEM. So if those kids can get funding, then why can't these student athletes get funding? And don't give me that excuse about the facilities, because I'm sure half of these kids would rather not have uh, the most pristine, high-tech lockers and helmets and Stuff that maybe they don't even use rather than food. You know what I mean? Rather than not sleeping on a homie couch. Like, I I don't know. Anyway, I thought that was a really important story I wanted to bring into everybody's attention. And then the second story we had, this has been a crazy week in sports. Like, I, these are two really big stories. So the next week, I want to talk about the Raiders' Carl Nassib. Carl Nassib this last week took to Instagram and decided to come out of uh, and as gay um, on Instagram. Now, I'm going to read to you some of uh, his Instagram posts because I think it's incredibly important. I think it actually uh, is a very nuanced way of bringing attention to, to certain things. Now, if you're not familiar with Carl Nassib, I don't blame you. He was a third-round pick in 2016 from the Cleveland Browns, but the guy's no slouch. He makes his money. He's got a couple sacks, some tackles, some interceptions last year playing for the Raiders. So, you know, don't underestimate the guy. He's not, he's, he's making his money for a reason. He's not a no-name bench player. He is a starter. Um, so here is the post from uh, Mr. Carl Nassim. Um, What's up, people? I'm at the house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I'm, I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I, feel, I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. I really have the best life. I've got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. I'm, real, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope that you guys know that I'm not doing this for attention. I just think that representation and visibility are, impo- uh, are so important. I actually hope that one... that. I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. But until then, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate, and I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project, end quote. Now, he went on to continue talking about the Trevor Project. If you're not familiar with the Trevor Project, it is a crisis intervention and suicide protection for LGBTQ plus community. Um, I think, one, the Trevor Project is an incredibly uh, important organization, and please donate uh, your time or your money to that organization because I think they're doing very, very important work. Um I think anybody who's working in crisis intervention and suicide protection 
is doing incredible important work but especially in that community where it's it's very prevalent and it doesn't always um make the news so to speak people don't always care the same way that they care uh about others um but i want to just commend this dude carl nassip for coming out in such an unceremonious way he's not and i and i don't mean that you can't be this way but he's not doing a, a sit down interview he's just like you know what man i'm coming out today Let's shoot the bag over to some people who rock with me. And I, I really put my best foot forward with, with my community and, and you know, let the world like take me for who I am. I think that's dope. I don't, I'm not going to undercut the, the fact that, you know, um, he's not the first person to come out as gay in the NFL, but he is the first person to already have a job in the NFL and come out as gay. Um, Ryan Russell in 2019 came out while he was a free agent. And then Michael Sam uh, was openly gay at the time of him being drafted in 2014. His career, neither of these men are playing in the NFL today. Uh, at least to my knowledge. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But I just want to say, wow, thank you, Carl Nassib. I think that's super dope that you you came out. And I, I, I think it's super dope that you did it in a way that took your power back and it wasn't so you got to come out and feel as though you got to show out for people and rather just be about it rather than talk about it. I always respect people, especially in entertainment, who be about it more than they talk about it because it's easy to get caught up in that. And I really hope that people are cool with this guy. I really hope that when the season starts, we don't hear uh any any really messed up stories but i think that this guy has put a target on his back in some ways for some people playing in some cities that maybe aren't rocking with you not as a whole but there's always going to be problem fans there's always i mean on a 52-man roster you can't expect every one of those dudes to just be down with whatever uh you know uh culture that you're a part of and that's unfortunate but Let's hope that those people keep their mouth shut and let him live his best life, you know? Um, so here's to Carl Nassip. Um, now, lastly, we're going to be wrapping up the show here. I've gone long. I wanted to make sure this inaugural episode, I took my time and really hashed everything out with y'all. Moving forward, the show's not going to be as long, um, but moving forward, we are going to have a special uh, segment called The Trigger Warning. Now, trigger warning is a weekly topic where I deep dive on one subject that is nuanced, it's heavy, it's tough to get through. It is not for the weak of heart or, you know, people with weak stomachs. You got to come into that particular part of the show ready to hear my opinion on some things, hear other people's opinions on some things, and really understand what we're looking at. Um, it's not so surface level. I'm not just going to be talking about video games in this segment, but I'm also going to be talking about how video games affect our lives, how technology affects our lives in our trigger warning subject. Um, it's going to be intense. And I hope you you come and check it out and look at it as an opportunity to grow. It is our hardcore segment. Um, as, as I've talked about, I, I am a casual gamer, but I am a hardcore intense dude. And I, I need to be able to talk about these things on a regular basis. I see things every week, every day that I want to really hash out with somebody. So 
with the trigger warning topic, I want people to come out and suggest topics to me every week. I want people to come out and tell me what they agree with and disagree with because I'm trying to figure things out with this topic. It's not so much just me standing at the pulpit yelling at people and dictating and, you know, waving my finger at people. It's not what I want to do here. But I do want to bring attention to certain things that I think need to change without glorifying it or without putting on like it's uh, I'm not trying to a virtue signal in this segment. OK, so I want you guys to show up and be ready to have a conversation if you are interested in something like this. So um, we're going to skip it this week. We're not doing it this week because it's the inaugural episode. I want to keep things light and fun. But just know that coming in next week, we're going to be throwing punches. So um, I want to leave you guys with this. We have the shout out of the week. Every week I will be shouting out a different creator, a different piece of content, something that I saw that really made me feel good or something that I think needs more attention. So I have two for you this week. First, it's Dave Chappelle singing Creep (laughs) with the Foo Fighters to reopen Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden is a very famous venue in New York City. And it has not had a live concert, a live show since the beginning of the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. And I loved watching the Foo Fighters bring out Dave Chappelle to sing Creep (laughs) because it is it is a little awkward. But at the same time, it's almost like, wow, how perfectly random is this? I missed moments like this where just entertainers would get together and do something weird just to say they did it just to have a good time and that spontaneity I think is something that we miss in live events and I'm so happy to see them back and I think it's funny that Dave Chappelle is just over and over repeating I don't belong here (laughs) because you know yeah kinda (laughs) so um I, you know, maybe it's the last time I see Dave Chappelle as a uh, uh, vocal, you know, singer, a performer in that way. But I'm so happy because he seemed to have a good time and it really helped uh, boost my Monday. That came out on Monday. Yo, that really helped me get through that day. So second, I want to talk about the Xbox game showcase that happened a couple days after E3. And I want to give a shout out to Paris Lilly. Um, he is one of the hosts of the, um, Gamertag, uh, radio podcast with, uh, Danny Pena. This dude's been, you know, in the video game space for a long time, and I'm glad to see a person of color, a black man, be able to host a very serious showcase event for a major brand. I don't believe that Paris at any point during the show did anything that was, I guess, performative so much as it was, um, he dictated and he hosted, he presented, you know what I mean? He didn't dance and sing, you know what I mean? And he was expected to be taken seriously. And I, I love seeing, uh, black people in positions where they are given the opportunity to, to really showcase their skills outside of just dancing and singing and shooting a basketball. Paris Lilly can give a good interview. I was really impressed, man. Like, honestly, no no cap. I actually, I really enjoyed the show and I was really happy with um, seeing him do what he does. 
And hopefully this will provide more opportunities, not only for him, but my guy, uh, Khalif Adams over at Spawn on Me. And you know what I mean? Um, uh, Danny Pena over at Gamertag Radio. I hope that there are more opportunities for people of color like myself um, and like many other creators that I'm sure listen to this show or their shows or many shows like it. That's about it. That's the shout out of the week, y'all. Um, please holler at me. Um, please hit me up anytime you need, anytime you like. I really love chopping it up with you guys. I'm working on expanding the show. As this show grows, so will our platform. So will the places that you'll be able to find us. But for right now, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or you just want to talk shit, please feel free to email me at... Um, wackops at gmail.com that's wackops w-h-a-c-k-o-p-z at gmail.com or you can also follow me on twitter that's wackops on twitter w-h-a-c-k-o-p-z um follow us on spotify stitcher and google podcast i'm working on getting us on other platforms as we roll out so please keep an eye out for that and of course stick around for our very special e3 bonus episode i wanted to give you guys an extra special treat for being here for our first week so please tune in for that i'm going to be uploading that right after this one so uh without further ado thank you so much i am whack ops this is hardcore casual have fun be cool and stay dangerous <laughs>